Matthew chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, this morning. Uh, of course, Sunday, next Sunday is Christmas, and we're all geared for that. And if you don't know, let me warn some of us, especially the husbands, you probably have five days left for shopping. So just so you know. And so uh, you can maybe squeeze in a sixth, but, you know, if you're going to order with the two-day shipping, you better start really thinking about that now. I just ordered one thing, and it's not going to be here in time for Christmas. My bad. But anyway, uh, and so just keep that in mind. But of course, as we're gearing up for Christmas and, and all the presents and all the things that are bought, one of the focuses that can be lost is why Jesus came to earth anyway. He didn't come so that we can all exchange presents and, and, and sing nice songs about him and sip hot cocoa and all that. I don't even know if they had cocoa. They didn't have cocoa in the first century. It was still in the Americas. But the understanding of why Jesus came, the angel tells Joseph, was to save people from their sins. And I want to think with you on that because that is more profound than you and I can, I think, fully grasp in life. Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 1, verse 21. Again, the angel is speaking to Joseph and he says, And she, speaking of Mary, will have a son and you will name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. I want to consider this because Robertson's word study said that this is both the sins of omission as well as commission. The thought there that in sins of omission is things you should have done or things that you failed to do. It's not just the things you commit like murder, people commit murder, you commit adultery, you commit larceny, which is a fancy word for stealing, but you commit these things. You act on those. Sins of omission were things we failed to do. We're all guilty of all of these kinds of understanding. Of course, the term sin means to miss a mark with an arrow. And how often, Robinson goes on to say, how the best of us fall short and fail to score. Jesus will save us away from that as well as out of our sins. They will be cast into oblivion and he will cover them up out of his sight. So let's first talk about that you were saved from your past. Because this is important to understand there's an old saying, Christians aren't perfect, they are forgiven. Now, often that is used in an excuse to be carnal, to be, uh, to do something foolish. But the truth of the matter is, is that none of us are perfect. None of us can rate to that level of being that you have hit the mark every single shot. That you have absolutely scored in life 100% of the time you did what was right. Now some, that is blatantly obvious. That you look at their sins and you know right away. I mentioned in our Sunday school, Pastor Mitchell used to say, it's not the year of the car that you need to be concerned with. It's the miles on the car. 
And he would use that illustration for people's lives. Uh, It's, you know, not necessarily your age. It's how much damage you have done to your body, mind, soul, whatever it would be, in the interim between uh, between now and when you were young. How many miles did you put on rock and roll miles or typically musician miles? They would be the ones with all the crazy lifestyle and you would see them die. There was a band called The Band. They were a very funny group. They did a ton of backup for all sorts of famous people, Franks, uh, uh, from uh, 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 Neil Diamond to uh, uh, Bob... Uh, um, Oh, the folk singer there, Dylan, Bob Dylan, and did all this. And they were just, they called themselves the band. They, they had a few hits themselves and they broke up. And they, the reason they broke up, they said, we don't want to die the rock and roll death. None of our friends make it out alive. And so they broke up and then a few of them got bored, got back together. And those who got back together all died of drug overdoses or tragically young. And it's amazing how sin can be obvious for some, not so obvious for others. Paul writes to Timothy and he says to Timothy, he says, you know, some men's sins are blatant and obvious and right in your face. And other men's sins are hidden away and you can't see them. He said, but you know, God and the Holy Spirit, time will bring it all out and everything will come to light. And God is amazing at that. Jesus came to save us from all of that. And to save, this word save is the word sozo. It's, it's a fascinating little word and it has three kinds of definitions to it. It has the thought of being forgiven. Roman, uh, Revelation rather, 1, 5, and Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness of these things, who is the first to rise from the dead, the rulers of the kings of the world, to be uh, all glory to him who loves us and freed us from our sins, shedding his blood for us. That he's freed us, he's washed us, he's forgiven us. Like I said, Christians may not be perfect, but they are forgiven. This is a reality that is wonderful, that you don't have to stand guilty before God for all the things you did or all the things you failed to do. This can sometimes be the sins, if you will, of church kids. It's not that they are, you know, uh, robbing banks or, or, or selling drugs, but it's what they fail to do, that God begins to deal with them to do. And they fail to do it. That God forgives us from those things. Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14. For he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Who he purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. We're forgiven. He purchased it through his blood. He bought our forgiveness. I wasn't like, oh, oops, you did it again. No big deal. It was that he had to pay that price so that you and I could be forgiven. Jesus, from before he was born, came for that purpose to save us from our sins. To forgive us. Not only is there forgiveness, but there's freedom. 
Jesus then changes us. Habits and addictions begin to fall away. There's people who were addicted to all sorts of things that they're no longer addicted to. This can be, you know, I've met people addicted to, of course, cigarettes. And I've met people who are addicted to alcohol or drugs or, or pornography or gambling. They're addicted to a, a, an action. But you know, some people are addicted to gossip. Some people are addicted to bitterness. They have to be bitter. I come from a large, long lineage of Irish Catholics who live to be bitter. That's what they do. They're bitter at everybody. They're bitter at each other. They'll gather together next week in family gatherings, and they don't really, they hate each other. And they'll all smile, and they'll all talk about each other later. They love it. They're addicted to it. They love being bitter. There's people who are addicted to religion. They, they, you know, they'll go and they'll worship and they'll tell you all the things that are involved in the religion. And they're bound in all sorts of, you know, many of them are bitter and angry people and all of that. But what's very interesting about all of that is Jesus will set you free. I've shared before, I, I, in... Chicopee before we had mass media and all that I asked some people to write their testimony down but I also asked them to send in to give me two pictures and we would put these up in the church one before they were saved and one after they were saved and it's very tangible to see someone you know a picture speaks a thousand words there were uh, one there was one young girl pretty girl uh, you know she got saved and but her hard face ruined her prettiness. She was so angry and bitter. And to read her story and to know the other parts of the story that weren't written down. The abuse and the, and the guilt and the shame of some things that she had been involved in. That hard face. And then there's a picture of her and she had had a couple of children by then. Married to her husband. And the lightness and that bitterness was gone. That hardness was gone. And her true beauty could come through because it, sin distorts. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But sin distorts who we are and twists us. And that you can be free from those things. Just like a heroin addict can be free. You can be free of bitterness. You can be free of fear. Just like someone who gets delivered from a sin of the outward. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. The commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of the flesh, uh, of our sinful nature. And our own very nature was subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. I love the fact that he starts this off, you once were. 
you once were. The power of a testimony, the power of being set free, that I was once a sinner this way or that way, and now Jesus has changed me. And now it's not just I added religion or Jesus to my life, but he absolutely swept through. And there's certain things I don't, I'm I'm not uh, uh, involved in anymore because I'm set free from those things. That I no longer smoke or drink or, you know, lie or these kinds of things that people are set free from. We're also healed. This is part of the words to be saved. Means to be healed, to be made whole. Sin is so damaging. Sin damages our physical bodies. That's, it has a way of playing out. Anger is linked to, is the third leading cause of heart attack in the United States behind obesity and smoking. Anger. The AMA will tell you that. The American Medical Association will tell you that. It's linked to bitterness, linked to arthritis. Sin has damaging effects on people's lives. I've seen people healed physically when they would forgive. I've seen people healed physically when they would renounce a sin. It's mind-boggling. What does one have to do with the other? It plays on our body. We need healing. We need mental healing. The way we think. Sin jades us and clouds us. You know, it's... it's you, ever, you, you can tell somebody sin pretty quick, you know... We live in a world of, there's a lot of perverts, if you will. They'll change anything into a perverted joke. Because that's the way they filter life. That's why Titus says to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and have a, uh, an, uh, an unrighteous conscience, a defiled conscience, nothing's pure. They'll filter it through that. Or they filter it through their greed. It's all about dollar signs. That's a miserable way to live if all of life is about dollar signs. I understand being a good steward. I understand that. There's damage to our spirits. I heard a unsaved woman on the BBC. She was talking about human trafficking, especially when it came to children. And she made this statement. She said, it doesn't just violate their bodies. It, viola- it touches their soul. Now, this is a psychologist. I don't think she was a Christian. But she understood it's deep. Sin violates our very core. And Jesus heals us from that. That in life, when we're sinning, it has physical, spiritual, emotional, and mental damage to our lives. God will heal us from that. He'll touch our lives and bring total healing. When it, Jesus is, it, Joseph is told that his name will be Jesus, and he will save the people from their sins. He will forgive them. He will set them free, and he will heal them. 
Not only are we saved from what we did, when we ask Jesus into our life, we're saved from what we would have done. Now, this is the mystery that we'll never totally be able to get our minds around. The what-ifs of life. And a good question to ask ourselves is, what if you hadn't got saved? What if you don't give your life to Jesus Christ? It's, it's, I, again, it's impossible to say exactly how life would have played out. If, you know, I make the statement, if things were different, things would be different. Right? If we change one factor, it has an ongoing effect of changing others. I get that. It's the bizarre philosophy of the butterfly flaps his wings in Africa and in Puerto Rico gets a, a, a Category 5 hurricane. I get that, right? There's a cause and effect, right? I understand that, on, uh, you know, part of it. But sin is not neutral. I can guarantee you wouldn't have been where you were when you got saved. Things would have progressed. Sin is not neutral. It would have caused problems. No one sets out to get addicted. No one sets out to get addicted. You pick your addiction, whether it's drugs or gambling or, or, or immorality or whatever. No one sets out and says, that's what I want to do with my life. It's a process. It's one baby step at a time. We've all, if you sin for any amount of time, you know that you do things you said you'd never do. I'll do this, but I'll never do that. And eventually you're doing that because it's baby steps. Jesus breaks that. But it's interesting to think that we're saved from what we would have been. I don't know where I would be, but I do. You know, I've mentioned before I could triangulate. I could look at my relatives. I could look at my friends. And I could look at myself, what I was doing in my life and the things that were there. And I can tell you that if I triangulate that trajectory... It is not a good ending. It would not have worked out very well for me. I look back at people I went to school with. Same age, same generation, same kind of sins we were involved in. I can look at friends who were in the church and left the church and how their lives took an entirely different course. I could look at my family, my cousins and my my brother, and know that my life would have taken an entirely different course. That not only what I was saved out of, but what I was saved from. And when you think of Jesus, sometimes it's hard to think just what you were saved out of. I mean, uh, saved from, rather. It's easy to think what we were saved out of. Oh, I used to be. But what would you have become? 
And in this thought of Jesus saving us from our sins is the saving of what we would have been. It's the tragic thing of talking to some church kids who have no clue of the damage of sin. To them, it's just the pleasures. It just looks fun. It looks inviting. It looks uh, like I'm missing out because I don't get to do what they do. But let me tell you the rest of the story. It's addicting. It's disgraceful. They call it the walk of shame for a reason. They call it that. You can be spared from that. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. His old life is gone. His new life has become. I look at my marriage, and I think there probably would have been no chance, even if my wife and I had met before we were saved, that we would have gotten together. I had dated a couple of cheer... She was a cheerleader in high school. I dated a couple of cheerleaders. They were way too self-absorbed. I just didn't need a girlfriend of that high maintenance. I was playing in bands, and I was too self-absorbed to be to have them that self-absorbed. It wasn't interesting to me. She, on the other hand, didn't date musicians because she didn't think a good date was come hear my band jam. She just didn't think that was fun. That was kind of boring, and so. She, we would have never, but if, but if some crazy situation had happened and we had gotten married, I can tell you it would have been very, very different. Very, very different. That I know the blessing of God because sin has been broken. The different trajectory of your life the different blessing that's on your life, your family, your future, your destiny, that would have never been there, never had the opportunity to be there had you still been sinned, that you were not saved just from your past sins, but you were saved from the future disaster that sin was going to bring. That plays out in so many different ways. You probably wouldn't have had as much money as you do today. Sin is expensive. Very expensive. It costs lots to sin. It destroys relationships. Absolutely destroys families. It destroys bodies and such. And the future we have is we don't have any to deal with a lot of that. I'm not saying you won't have money problems if you're a Christian. I'm not saying that you won't have relationship problems if you're a Christian. I'm not saying that you won't have physical issues if you're a Christian. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that I'm spared some of the disasters that would have been self-inflicted. Because of what Jesus saved me from. Not only that, he was going to save his people 
from their sins. This is a thought that has to do with multi-generational. I was thinking about curses that get broken. Family curses. And I actually uh, called uh, Pastor Mitchell Connors to ask him, hey, would it be okay if I used you as an illustration? I knew his grandfather. His grandfather was an interesting man who was an alcoholic, a bitter man, angry man. He was involved with the Irish Mafia in Boston, which was huge. Till up until September 10th of 2001, the most wanted man in the United States was a man named William Bulger. September 11th, it became Saddam. Uh, it became uh, Osama bin Laden. Whitey Bulger ran the Boston Irish Mafia, or what they called the Spring Hill Gang. He had been involved with them. They were a nasty bunch of guys. Nasty. They killed numbers of people, including my cousin before I was born. My mother's first cousin. Murdered by Billy, by uh, Whitey Bulger. He's in, his marriage is a mess. His wife gets saved, Sandy Connors. And eventually Tom gets saved. Second service in the Cape Cod Church in Sabre Stockdale's living room. He begins to change. His daughter gets saved, Stacy, and his son will get saved about a year and a half later, three weeks after I did, Tom Connors, who pastors now in Minnesota. The other side of his family is his mother. His mother's mother got saved. His grandmother got saved. Judy Moynihan, and she got saved, brought her daughter to church. Christine, she got saved. Tom and Christine had been involved in all sorts of sins in relation, but now they're saved. They get married, and now they're raising their kid right. Mitchell Connors is born. I remember being in a music scene back when we would sit on the floor in the music scenes, and there's Tom Sr. with Tom Jr. They hated each other. And now they're sitting next to each other. And Mitchell is a year and a half old, and he's crawling between the two. He has no clue of the damage of sin. He's raised in that atmosphere. He meets a girl in church. Jillian Swanson. Swanson girls. Good, good breed right there. I knew when I was the assistant pastor, if I could get the three Swanson girls to smile, I was going to have a good service. And you know who the toughest holdout was? The youngest. She was the toughest. Just saying, you were. <laughs> they date right. They get married in church. Now they have four children. And I understand their children are going to have to make their own decisions. 
But Jillian comes out of a Christian family. They were the first marriage of two people born in the church to save parents. And as they get married, they're now pastoring and have children. The curses are broken. That's not just because they're pastors or whatever. You don't have to be a pastor to have the curse broken. But think about this. They're never going to see their mother drunk. They're never going to have to deal with their father getting arrested under a DWI after leaving the casino. To coming home and finding mom or dad there with a stranger. They're not going to have to deal with that. They're not going to have to find the curses that so many people in our generation deal with. Acts chapter 2, Peter replied and said, Each one of you must repent and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the promise to you and to your children and to as many afar away who have been called by the Lord our God. And Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners to save themselves from this crooked generation. You know, we've got, we just did a baby dedication last week, and here's these children. And I'm thinking they're not, you know, some of you have come from godly parents, some of you have not. I'm not saying they're bad parents, I'm just saying that you weren't raised in, this and you you've experienced some of that you've seen your parents in those compromising or difficult situations but you serve God think about this your children will never experience that they'll be saved from that that they won't totally grasp all that they're saved from my grandson is 10 years old now, and it's beginning to become alive that, you know what, not everybody has grandparents who are married, parents who are still married, all of that. They don't have that. And I'm not condemning that. I'm just saying you get saved, that can be broken. It doesn't have to be that way. Because not only did he come to forgive us, Not only did he come to rescue us from the future sins, he came to bring that blessing on an onward trajectory down the generations. The blessing of God that will come upon our lives. Proverbs 10 and verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow to it. It's more than how much money you have in the bank. Blessing goes far more than just having, you know, Bill Gates may have a lot of money in the bank. But is he truly blessed? Because he can't escape some of these things. Yes, he's fine, you know, he just got a divorce and all that, but he's been taking vacations since he's been married with another woman his whole married life.
See, Jesus desired that for your life more than anything else. Unlike the Mormons believe that you were in heaven waiting to be born, that's not true. But Jesus was. And when he's coming to earth, think about this. He already knows he's coming to die a cruel death. But the reason he did it was so we could be saved from our sins. Hebrews chapter 12 says these words. Verse 2. And we do not keep our eye, uh, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who imitates and perfects our faith. Or who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross. Disregarded its shame. And now he's seated in a place of honor. Besides God's throne. What was the joy I can tell you it wasn't the nails. It wasn't the crown of thorns. It wasn't the stripes on his back. It wasn't the mocking or the picking out of his beard. It wasn't uh, anything. It was you and I being saved from our sins. It was your children being spared the insanity of sin that many that some of you grew up in. It's having the blessing of God resting upon your life. See, that statement that that angel makes to Joseph is profound. Yes, we're forgiven. And if you're not forgiven, you can be before you leave here. You can be spared not only of your past, but of your future that you would be without Christ. And the blessing that comes upon And the curses that are broken down the generations. It is a wonderful thing to see and to know what God can do. When you realize he came to save us from our sins. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. The wonderful blessing and opportunity that we have because of what Jesus came to do. To save us from our sins. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not saved from your sins. You're living in sin. It's a habit. It's an addiction. Maybe it's an omission. You, things you know you should be doing, you're not doing. Jesus came to save us from those. To save us from our sins. Not from Joe Biden or Donald Trump's sins, they have their own issues to deal with. Your sins. Don't pass this on to someone else. Don't blame the government or America or your parents. This is your sins. Are you saved from them? If you're not, it's an opportunity for you to be saved not only from what you've done in the past, but for what would what will eventually cost you more than you want to pay in the future. It's the wonderful blessing of being saved from sin. That's you. I wonder if you want prayer this morning. Slip up your hand. Pray for me. I'm not right with God. Maybe you're backslidden. You knew God, turned away. Sin has come back into your life and you're saying, God, I need to be saved from these. I need to be changed. Very quickly, slip up your hand. Pray for me. I need to get my heart right with God. 
anyone at all. Changing the call then to Christians. Sometimes it's good to think about, you know, I don't know exactly where we'd all be, but we were not only forgiven from our past, but we're saved from future disaster that was going to happen one way or the other. I can almost guarantee that. And the heritage that God has given us that will be passed down to our children and our children's. And I look at my grandkids and I think, thank God what they have been spared. What they, what they, they don't even know. They're just children. They have no clue. But to know the security and the blessing and the favor that's upon their lives because of what Jesus has done. No brilliance on the grandparents' part. No, no amazing ability of the parents. It's just Jesus saved us from our sins. Let's all stand. These altars are open. You can find a place to talk to God. We're going to sing a song. Above all powers, above all kings. Above all powers, above all kings.